If you would turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5, we're just going to look at verse 6 this morning. <clears throat> I say that you don't need to look at it, but honestly, it's one of those verses you just need to look at again and again and again. In fact, I can say with all honesty, every, every, every verse that we've covered so far, um, I think everybody in the room ought to feel a little bit of hypocritical. I know I do, as far as that goes. Um, and that uh, uh, we ought to be mourning a lot more over our sin and uh, certainly longing much more for what we're about to speak of here. Um, so just keep that in mind. We're all in the same boat here uh, as far as that goes. So let's hear the word of the Lord. Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's pray together. Father, we seek to humble ourselves before you as we hear from your word. We pray that you would align our minds with uh, the mind of Christ, that you would give us uh, the desires of heaven, that you would teach us the true and wise way to walk as we ought as, as Christians. Pray that you would give us new hope through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, and a longing for something better than even what we currently are experiencing through our mixture of sin and, and faith. We pray that you would turn our eyes toward heaven, turn our eyes toward Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A couple weeks ago, I asked the question, what is one of the easiest ways you could tell whether or not a newborn babe is actually alive? And many of you immediately said, uh, by its crying. As soon as you see and hear the, the baby crying, it's, it's pretty obvious uh, it's a, a thriving child, at least to some extent. The same can be said of a, a, a newborn Christian, a born-again Christian. You could tell that they are alive to the things of God, for they begin to mourn over their sin in a spiritual manner. Well, if I were to ask you another question from the opposite stage of life, if you will, what's one of the most obvious signs that an elderly person is nearing the last days of his or her life. Perhaps a lack of appetite. They don't have any desire to eat or drink anything more. Their body's not craving any of those things because they know it's almost their time. The same could be said for a person who's really sick sometimes. Depending upon the sickness itself, you could tell there's something wrong with them when they no longer have an appetite. I I had this happen just a, a month ago. Um, I came down with some really strange sickness, and I knew that I was sick not because my nose was running or I had a headache or anything else of that nature, but all of a sudden, my wife had made dinner. It was one of my favorite meals, and I sat down at the table, and I was repulsed by the food. Now, that's not normal. <laughs> I love food, and I love to eat, and I don't skip meals ever uh, unless someone takes it from me. Uh, but it's not ever by choice, and, and yet I had no desire. Even just the smell of the food itself told me there's something wrong with me. I have no desire for this. Well, again, in the same way, uh, at least negatively speaking, it's a sure sign of spiritual sickness or even death when someone doesn't hunger and thirst for righteousness. Uh, it's a clear sign of life and thriving when they do. Um, 
keep in mind Jesus is, is, is speaking to believers here primarily. Any time a, a beatitude is read by an unbeliever, I don't want to give any impression whatsoever that we're, we're teaching that a person needs to be desperate to grow in righteousness in order to be acceptable in God's sight, to earn God's favor in some way. It can, it can never happen. The only way anyone will ever be uh, accepted as righteous in God's eyes is through the imputed or credited righteousness of Christ. When Jesus is on the cross, as you know, He takes our sins upon Himself, but then He puts His righteousness upon us so that by faith, when we look to Christ for salvation, God sees us as the righteous one. God sees us as the holy one. God sees us as His perfect Son, and with us then, He says, this is my son, this is my daughter. With him, with her, I am well pleased, you see. Uh, this beatitude is not speaking of, of that part of righteousness, but rather to something more than that. Uh, in the same way, mainly the Beatitudes are given to the believers, not again to try to earn something more from God, but rather to be read as a spiritual gauge to see where am I at in my relationship with God? Where am I at in my spiritual health? And, and then the Beatitude is meant to point us back to Christ. It's not meant to make us look at ourselves and then beat ourselves up and then say, I'm going to, I'm going to do better. Uh, if, if that's what you're walking away with after this sermon, then I've misled you altogether. That's not what it's referring to. Um, it's meant to point us back to Christ, and I think you'll see that clearly, hopefully, by the end of the sermon. But you see, when, when a believer is initially saved, Christ's righteousness is just freely given to him or to her. So that at least... In name and in standing, that person is declared to be righteous. But it, it's almost like a joke. <laughs> You're like, really? <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, I'm righteous now. No matter how many people I murdered and, and stole from and cheated and lied and all those types of things, uh, in a moment, you're declared to be righteous merely because Christ's righteousness is given to you. But, but part of the sanctifying process of God, once the Holy Spirit indwells a born-again Christian, now it's, it's not just that imputed or credited righteousness that's given to them, but there's also now an infusion of righteousness that is slowly given to the believer in cooperation with the Holy Spirit as that believer cries out for more of it. As we cry out for more righteousness, the Holy Spirit continues to give us more of Christ and His righteousness in reality, not just in standing, not just in name, but in reality, we start to grow more in righteousness. So, so the Christian who has received this new heart, new desire, we talk about now he has ears to hear and eyes to see. You could also say in a manner of speaking, now he has a new stomach as well. He has new appetites that he, he never had before. And as a result... He craves these things that he never craved before. It really is um, uh, a, a quite dramatic change of events in the life of a Christian. So with that being said, when we consider this passage together and are, are looking to see what does this mean for us in this context, righteousness does not refer mainly to our standing with God but rather to our walk with God as Christians. Now we're learning to develop the right mindset. We're thinking rightly. 
and also we're beginning to have the right desires. We begin to feel rightly. And now we also are beginning to have the right actions. We're now starting to do the right thing. This is a growth in righteousness, not just a, a righteous standing before God, but now that believer becomes what he has been declared to be. Uh, just as a thriving believer mourns over his or her sin, the opposite now is also taking place. He begins to crave more and more righteousness. They, they go hand in hand. Uh, the way the Apostle Paul often uh, tries to explain this exchange is you're taking off the clothes of the old man and then you're putting on the new clothes, the clothes of Christ, those robes of righteousness. You're taking those on and, and having the same mindset, having that same desire. Uh, in fact, uh, it's, a, it's a new spiritual appetite that you never would have had before. But now He gives us that appetite. And so uh, as we begin to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in that process of sanctification, he gives us the desire. He gives us the ability. But then now we're cultivating that appetite. We're trying in, in, in whatever way that God has given us to learn what it means to please God. To learn what it means to walk in righteousness. Now, uh, note that it's not those that merely have righteousness here that Jesus is saying are blessed. But those who hunger and thirst for more of it. You see, they want more. Not just what they've gotten in, in name and title. Not just the, the beginning seeds of righteousness. But now they long more and more to be like Christ. They long more and more to, to be done with their love for sinning. They long more and more to walk in the right way. The way that God has laid out. Not the way that we ourselves would want because we know that we're fools naturally. We know that we walk in darkness. We know that we walk in error. Of course, most people are willing to walk in the right way on some occasions, right? Even unbelievers can walk in the right way in, in, in some instances, but only if it seems good to them, right? Only if it uh, appeals to their natural desires and somehow fits in with their agenda. But certainly never for the sake of the Lord, not out of any sense of doing it in service unto Him, not out of any sense of doing what is right because you're submitting yourselves under the rightful authority of God, but simply because, well, it, I think it's okay. I, I can do this right thing. So you'll even see unbelievers at times doing what a Christian ought to do, but they're not doing it with the right relationship with God. So in His eyes, even though they're seemingly doing the right thing or doing good things, to him, it's still considered unrighteousness because it's not done in a right relationship under the right authority of the Lord. And of course, there are, there are also many who call themselves Christians who are willing to do some things right in God's eyes, acknowledging His right over them in those areas, but not necessarily in other areas. You can sort of picture it like a, a, a Christian saying to the Lord, you know, I'm going to post a sign in, in this part of my heart that says, do not enter, Lord. This is my territory. I'm going to live the life I want to here. I'll do what you want here, but not here. That's not righteousness, you see. A desire and a hunger for righteousness means I want the right way every time. Not just in the times that I think are convenient for me. But the problem is we... We sort of feign this desire for righteousness, but what we really want is just happiness 
apart from the right ways of God. Of course, we don't end up with happiness when we choose happiness over righteousness. It's funny, though, there there are a lot of unhappy people in America today. You know how I know that? It's because last week, McDonald's unveiled the adult Happy Meal. I don't know if they have it here yet in Michigan, but I was, I was baffled that now we have adult Happy Meals with toys, mind you. I'm not kidding. I, I think it's meant to be nostalgic, but at the same time, I'm beginning to think, how far will our culture go to coddle young adults today? I mean, are we ever going to grow up? Ever. We still want the toys. I mean, give me a break. But I I was given some thought to that when I read the headline for it. And I was thinking, you know, many professing Christians today, their desire for righteousness is something like a McDonald's Happy Meal. I mean, if if you think about it, I'll explain. You know, uh, the last time I remember ordering a Happy Meal, not for myself, but for my kids, it's been a while. They're, They're much older now. But if I remember, the contents that came in that ugly red box was like four very thin chicken nuggets, maybe like seven fries in a box, uh, or a couple of apple slices, and maybe a small juice box or a milk, right? Everybody knows kids didn't want the food, right? They wanted the toy, right? In fact, you can tell this because every time I've ever been to McDonald's and you see a leftover happy, almost all the food is uneaten. But they'll play with the toy. They'll, they'll take that toy in their hand, and they're very excited, and they're happy for, what, two seconds maybe, before they fight with their sibling over who gets that toy that the other one didn't get. But, but it's, they're, not, they're not getting it because they're hungry for the food. They're, they want more of the toy than they want to actually eat anything. And I think in many ways in the church today, there's a desire for just a little bit righteousness. Maybe what you call bite-sized righteousness as long as we can still pursue our toys. As the hymn writer would say, the the gilded toys of dust of the worldlings. We're okay with a little bit of righteousness, but don't ask us to eat a big meal. We're happy with the happy meal. A little bit of righteousness will go a long way, we think. In fact, I think uh, I've noticed in my own life and then lives of others who are trying to seek the Lord more fully, at times, those who have that Happy Meal version of Christianity, they often get upset with those who actually hunger and thirst for righteousness. They think that you're fanatical if you want more than just that little bit of righteousness. I was uh, thinking of, uh, my wife was explained to me when we first were getting married, she was a dietitian, about Prader-Willi syndrome. Many of you are probably familiar with it. It's a chromosomal disorder that leads to great obesity due to the fact that there's an unending appetite that is never satisfied. There's, they're missing something to where they always feel hungry. It gets to the point by the age of three years old, uh, there, there has to be a rigid uh, diet restrictions and even locking of the refrigerator door so that the child can't get in there and eat more than he or she ought. And even as an adult, if, if, if it's not uh, dealt with and they can't overcome it, they have to be put in group homes because they can't stop eating. Now, of course, all of us would know that that's, that's unhealthy, that's, that's, that's an excessive appetite for physical food, if you will, but I think many people in the church today think of Christians who continually hunger and thirst for righteousness sort of in that unhealthy manner. All that You're just being excessive. 
you just want too much righteousness. You're just being holier than thou. You know, you're, you're, you're something else altogether. You're, you're taking it too seriously. But I think I can honestly say to you that that's, this is exactly what Jesus is, is encouraging us to be. To pursue his righteousness in such a way as if it's our last meal. As if we haven't had a drink in weeks. I mean, what are the songs we've just been singing? Every hour I need you? Do you really believe that? Every hour? That kind of righteousness, that kind of life where I'm completely dependent upon the Lord, I need you, I need your righteousness? I'd venture to say I don't think that most churches, most Christians are, are there. I know that I'm not there many times. But if you think about it, if we don't eat, what happens? We die. It's very plain, right? It's, it's very simple. If, if, if we don't desire righteousness, it's a sure sign that we're either sick or we're already dead in our sins and trespasses and never have really tasted the good gift of God. I mean, just as newborn Christians are known by craving pure spiritual milk, right? The mature Christian is, is not known for no longer craving milk, but now he craves the milk and he wants some meat too. He's still craving. He still wants more. More of that righteousness. But if you think about it, physically speaking, if we skip a meal from time to time, it may be okay, but we'll still be hungry the rest of the day, right? If you miss breakfast, you miss lunch, are you not going to be hungry at nighttime? So too with a growing Christian, immediately recognize when he or she has not spent time with God, I'm hungry. I, I'm, I'm needy. I'm desperate. I, I need to be with you, God. I need to pursue what is right because my, my life is disordered. It's wrong without you. And just as the, the physically hungry person will not just sit around passively and say, well, maybe food will show up my way. If you hadn't had a, had a meal in a couple of days, what do you think that hungry person's doing? They're searching throughout the whole town. They're, they're, they're breaking through the house to try to figure, is there anything in the cabinets, anything that I can eat? I'm desperate. I'm hungry. It's the same way for those who have not spent time with God. They know they haven't. They want to be with God. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people in the church tell me they, they just don't have time to read the Bible. I just don't have time to pray. It's, it's just a busy week. <laughs> you ever heard a, a hungry person say, you know, I haven't eaten in seven days. I just don't have time. I just don't have time. You would never hear that, ever. But they're desperate. They have to have that nourishment. The same way we have to have that spiritual nourishment. If we're not hungering and thirsting for it, there's something wrong with us. If a Christian hasn't been around that in a while and hasn't been pursuing righteousness in that manner, and all of a sudden he comes to the realization he's hungry, he's thirsty. He will stop doing whatever it is that he's doing and find time to seek God. He will. She will. Take advantage of every opportunity afforded them. The one who hungers and thirsts after righteousness will naturally 
turn to the Bible every chance he gets. For he knows that God's Word is, is profitable for training in righteousness. You want to grow in righteousness, the Word of God is the first place you go. It trains us in righteousness. Let's we'll seek God's Word more and more, more than any other book, more than any other avocation, any hobby, entertainment. Again, you could tell when someone is not spiritually hungry, they will take time to do anything else other than seeking God's Word. But the hungry person has to have God's Word. Everything else can go to the side, to the wayside, but not God's Word. It's more desirable to him than anything else. Listen, listen how David describes even God's laws. I mean, who in here, raise your hand, I, I'm, I'm just eager for, to hear God's laws. I want to hear God's law. Psalm 119, just go read that sometime. He's just constantly saying, oh, how I long for your laws. You don't hear Christians say that today. <laughs> Psalm, Psalm 19, he says this, speaking of God's rules and his laws, they are righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even fine gold, sweeter than all honey and even the drippings of the honeycomb. Clearly, David was hungry for God's word. He had to be in God's Word. The same manner that the, the blind hymn writer, William Walford, uh, described his time alone in that well-known hymn, Sweet Hour of Prayer. He so longed to be with God, he considered it the sweetest time of the day. It was his dessert. He longed for it more than any other hour of the day. Sweet hour of prayer. Oh, the joys I feel, the bliss I share, along with those whose anxious spirits burn with strong desires for thy return. Oh, sweet hour of prayer. For them, like many other saints of old, prayer is not a burden, not even a, a duty, just a privilege, a delight. They long for it. Someone hungering and thirsting to be with God, they cherish that portion of the day that's set aside to be with God. Why? Because in prayer, the saints learned more than anything else to seek first what? The kingdom of God and His righteousness. As they're praying, they're learning about Christ's righteousness. They're learning to turn their unrighteous desires into the righteous desires of Christ. They're learning to lift up their souls to God and say, here's what I want, but I know my way is often in error. Please show me what you would have for me that I might walk in your ways, your righteousness. Not my ways, your ways. The same way those who are hungering souls long to be with those who likewise are hungering to share in that same righteous pursuit along with them, especially in the context of the local church where each member eats and drinks of the righteousness of Christ in that mystic sweet communion that we speak of in the other hymn. As David says in Psalm 121, I was so glad. That's really how it ought to be interpreted. I was so glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Why? Because our feet are standing in the courts of God continually to, to know your righteousness, to know your righteous ways. 
Again, that might seem fanatical to a number of people when they see someone who's always talking about God's kingdom and his righteousness, always quoting scripture and praying and talking about the blessings of God and and, uh, spending time at church, not just that one hour of the day that we gather together, but they want to be with the the body of Christ. Even this morning when we were praying together as elders, Brian was uh, praying through that passage in Hebrews, uh, reminding us again that when we're gathered together right now, we're gathered together amongst the angels in heaven, we're gathered along with the saints at rest, and we're in a righteous place with them right now. This is heaven come down, if you will, that we might know the righteous ways of God. That's not the case for those who are content with just a little bit of food and a little bit of water. You might call them anorexic Christians. They're okay. They don't need to eat much. They have other things to do, other things to look at, other things to concern themselves with. Again, I venture to say either they're very sick or they've never tasted that the Lord is good. The type of righteousness that a growing Christian continually desires can be considered in three ways. It can either be considered as a path or as a place or as a person. Let me explain what I mean by that. First, the the famished Christian hungers for the paths of righteousness, right? David says in Psalm 23, we know that passage very well, he leads me in what? Paths of righteousness. And he doesn't say that in sort of a stern or discouraging way. Oh, he leads me in righteous paths. He's like, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He loves the sound of it, even as he's saying it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, Paul exhorts his protege to flee youthful passions and to pursue this path of righteousness. Pursue it with all your heart. Flee any youthful temptation and pursue God's righteous path. He says the same type of thing to Titus in Titus chapter 2, verse 12, when he's encouraging, he said, the grace of God has appeared to us, training us to renounce all ungodliness all worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, or righteous and godly lives in this present age. When the Holy Spirit indwells us, there is a spiritual battle that begins to take place between the old man and the new man. The old man wants those worldly toys of dust. That's all he wants. But the new man wants righteousness. He yearns for righteousness, longs for it. Day by day, he renounces his old past. Each morning when he gets up, Lord, I don't want to be that old man anymore. I'm tired, tired of misspending my life in misery. Lead me to the way everlasting. Show me the way. Show me that path of righteousness. Paul even refers to us, he says, we're no longer slaves to sin. What are we slaves to? Slaves to righteousness, he says. Have you ever considered yourself a slave of righteousness? Not just a slave in the sense of I've been captured against my will, I've been kidnapped, I'm now a slave. But no, in the context of Deuteronomy, I purposely have had my ear nailed to the door of my master. I want to be his servant for life. I want to be a slave of righteousness. There's a strong desire for that righteousness that never existed before. 
But then in addition to a, a path of righteousness, it can also reference a place of righteousness. Listen to, to Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. The Apostle Paul says, we're waiting for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. There's a direct correlation between someone who is hungering for righteousness and someone who's longing for heaven because they know that the place that we live in now in this present evil age is far, far from righteousness. We're surrounded by unrighteousness. We're surrounded by unrighteous ideas. But can you imagine living in a place where everyone and everything submits to God's righteous rule. It's glorious. Why would we not want that now? Why would we not be praying that now as we're taught to pray in the Lord's Prayer? Your kingdom come. I long for your righteousness. Galatians 5.5, Paul says that through the Spirit by faith we eagerly wait for this hope of righteousness. We long for it. The same way John tells us in Revelation 7.16 that we will hunger and thirst as long as we live on this earth, but when we finally reach that place, we will hunger and thirst no more, for finally we will be in the realm of the upright, the realm of righteousness. The, the Puritan pastor Richard Baxter once said this. It, it's, it's actually a great way of putting it. Um, he said, the great difference between Christians and non-Christians doesn't lie in any preference of heaven over hell. I mean, after all, everyone would seek the bliss of heaven over the torments of hell. Who in here would say, I'd rather have the torments of hell, thank you. No one would say that. So if you, if you want to distinguish a Christian and a non-Christian, you're not going to say, well, you know, he wants to go to heaven, he wants to go to hell. No one says that. Instead, Richard Baxter says this. He says, rather the difference lies in the fact that the Christian prefers heaven over earth. Not heaven over hell. He wants heaven over earth because to him, earth is a hell. Because it's not the place where righteousness reigns. It's not the place where you feel at home, at comfortable in any way, because you're surrounded by unrighteousness. doesn't matter whether you've experienced the, the high points of life let, yet. It doesn't matter whether you've gotten married yet or had kids yet or whatever it is that you're looking forward to here on earth yet. If you could trade in a single moment today the bliss of heaven for the greatest day you've ever experienced here on earth, if you understood the glories of heaven, it would be no comparison. You would be so quick to say, to hell with this place. Give me heaven. I want to be with you, God. I long to be with you. Thus they continually pray, Thy kingdom come. It's a, it's a daily prayer for the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. It's precisely because they hunger and thirst that they're not fond of the things of this world and can turn their backs on them. But then finally, in addition to a, a path and a place of righteousness, the famished Christian longs for the person of righteousness himself, the Lord of righteousness. One of the key differences when you can tell someone's really ready for heaven 
I, I, I mean, there's sympathy I, I have for any spouse who has lost their husband or, or, or wife. And I'm not, I'm not knocking their desire to be reunited with those that they love, their children, their family members, whatever. Um, certainly, I, I long to be with my family members who have passed. But you can tell when they really get the concept of heaven, when what they really, really long for is to be with Christ. Christ is better than your spouse. Sorry to say it. <laughs> Christ is better than your, your mom and your dad. Christ is better than your children, better than all your friends. He's the only faithful and true friend you'll ever have. You'll long to be with him. He is righteous altogether. No one compares. No one. Even when Jesus is trying to explain to them the hope of heaven, trying to explain to them that the spiritual life, he's telling them of, of the manna from heaven and in John chapter 6, the, the crowd immediately says, Sir, give us this bread always. We want it. And then he explains to them, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. To be in my presence, you will never be hungry ever again. You will never be unsatisfied ever again. John chapter 7, Jesus says again, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So, so righteousness is, is not just a, a path. It's not just a place because the path is the path that points us to Christ. The place is the place where Christ dwells. Ultimately, it's a relationship with the real person, the very source of righteousness himself. And that's what the psalmist is speaking of in Psalm 42 and 43 when he's longing. He says, as the deer pants for flowing streams of water, so my soul pants for what? For you, O God. My soul thirsts for you, for the living God. Isaiah 26, uh, verse 9, the, the prophet is explaining uh, a promise of future generations where He'll give them a new heart, and, and, and he says that that future generation, they'll speak in this way. He says, they'll say this, My soul yearns for you, O God, in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. And that's a dramatic change because that generation was not seeking God at all. And he was bringing judgment upon them left and right. The same thing was happening to the, the generation in Jeremiah's day, chapter 2, verse 13 of his book, God says this of Israel, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. It's the very folly of idolatry. We keep going back to a source that we think is going to give us pleasure, and all it gives us is misery and emptiness and vanity. And yet we keep going back to this broken well when Jesus is saying to us, I am the fountainhead. I am the source of living water. I am the source of all pleasure, the source of all satisfaction, the source of every good gift. It all comes from me. Why would you turn away from me and go to some broken well instead? It doesn't make any sense. It's just pure foolishness to think that you will ever be happy apart from Christ. You will not be. You will be miserable again and again because Christ is the infinite fountain of pleasure. Whom have I in heaven but you, O God? 
There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. You're the fountainhead. Why would I go anywhere else? He says to all who are thirsty, Revelation 22, I will give you from the spring of water of life without payment. So let the one who is thirsty, let him come. Let the one who takes, the one who desires, take the water of life without price. He who hungers after righteousness will be filled. He who thirsts after righteousness will be satisfied. I just, I just read this morning in my devotions a, a prayer from Robert Hawker. If you're not familiar with him, it's, uh, he, he does uh, Poor Man's Portions. It's a great little devotional book. This morning he, he said uh, in his prayer, Lord, cause me to drink of the rivers of your pleasure this morning. For you alone are the fountain of life. Cause me to drink from you this morning. Should be the, the daily prayer of all of us, you know, that we might drink from that fountain. Even when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, you have to understand he's not just referring to physical bread. As the, he's talking about the daily manna, right, that came from heaven. Each day they needed daily manna. In the same way, he says, I am the bread of life. You need daily to feed upon Christ. Not just daily, but as we just sing, hourly. I need you every hour. I need you. So the obvious question to ask ourselves this morning of these, how hungry are we to pursue the paths of righteousness? How eager are we for the eternal land of righteousness where God rules over all things well? How desperate are we to know Christ Himself, the Lord of righteousness? Are you panting in His presence? <laughs> are you rather somewhat unenthusiastic to spend time with God? Perhaps you're even bored and indifferent to His righteousness, to His righteous ways. I was l laughing at the uh, tune when I first came up here this morning during the announcements, uh, and then uh, someone behind me was suggesting they ought to play the uh, the Imperial soldiers from Star Wars instead. Uh, it would be fitting for my character, I'm sure, but... Um, but it's interesting, if, if you've never looked at that one, I encourage you, uh, in your hymn books, um, the hymn that she started playing, it has a, a very somber feel to it. And Jesus, Priceless Treasure. You would think that with a title like that, it would just be a really happy tune. But the re I think it's well-wedded to the tune because the person who's singing that song is hungry. They're thirsting. They're desperate. They're crying out, well, I need you. You are everything. You are that priceless treasure. I mean, li listen to the words that, that he says there. He says, the, the, Jesus' priceless treasure, the source of purest pleasure. And then he starts saying how much his heart is burning, fainting, yearning, and thirsting for him. When was the last time your heart burned for God? In just a minute, we're going to close with the hymn, O Jesus, Joy of Loving Hearts. And listen to the words of that one. It says, O Jesus, Joy of Loving Hearts, Thou Fount of Life, You are the Fountain of Life. From fullest bliss, the earth and parts, we turn away from those things unfilled to Thee again. 
We taste Thee, O Thou living bread. We long to feast upon Thee still. We drink of Thee, the fountainhead, and thirst our souls from Thee to fill. Is that your desire this morning? Is that where you're at? For all who hunger and thirst in this way, the Scripture says, they will be filled. Those who don't hunger and thirst, obviously the implication is that they won't be filled. Now, the truth of the matter is this. If we cry out for bread, the Lord is very gracious, and in His good providence, He will give us what we need. He's promised to do that. But there's a greater promise that's also given. In, in, in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, Jesus said this to His disciples. It's in comparison with Matthew's gospel. He goes a little bit further, I think. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? In Matthew's Gospel, he says, give good gifts to those who ask Him. You know, things that we need on earth and other things of that nature, and spiritual gifts as well, I'm sure. But Luke goes directly to the source, and he says, the Lord is good. If you cry out, for spiritual things, He will give you His Holy Spirit. If you're only crying out for earthly things, that's all you're going to get. So, so the question is, what are you crying for? What are you praying for? I mean, the older we get, I think uh, most of our prayers end up being about our bodies because they're always falling apart, are they not? But I love to see saints of old when they're crying more for the Spirit than they are for the flesh. I mean, what else can you cry for? You know, when you get in, in your 90s and your 100s and whatever else, what else is there left, right? Give me another day, maybe. <laughs> the flesh is wasting away. The world is fading away with all of its desires. There's only one thing that remains. That's what we're called to hunger and thirst for. The path of righteousness that place of righteousness, and Christ our righteous Lord. He has saved us in order that we might know His righteous ways and have His mind. Let's pray to the Lord and ask Him. Ask Him for more of His Holy Spirit that we might hunger and thirst in, in this manner. Let's pray. Our Father, we, we come to You with a great mixture of desires this morning. I think many of us would like to say we, we want to long for more of these things, yet there's something within us that hinders us from doing that. We pray, Father, that you would first remove whatever obstacle is in our way. Remove whatever gilded toy of dust that we hold in our hands and in our hearts that causes us to not look to heaven not look to Your Word, not look to the things that would cause us to hunger and thirst more. We pray, Father, that You would help us in our weakness. You've given us those initial desires. You've given us that ability. Lord, continue to give us an appetite for You so that when we cry out to You, we might be filled. 